You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking, Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, for those that know what's going on in the world, the Olympics are going on, other end of the world. Um, as far as I know, the idea of the Olympics is to promote peace. I'm not sure if that's working. Not my job to tell you if there's peace in the world or not. But it did remind me of something. Um, I come into the studio every day. Well, I'm sorry. I come into the studio once a week. And I go to the kitchen and I look for my mug. My mug is missing. As you can see, I, I just have a plain white mug. No picture, no colors. Where's my mug? Anyways, I look and I see the show before me. Dan is there. He's wearing a white shirt. And then I find out he's got my mug. He's wearing a white shirt. He's got my mug. I think he's trying to become me. Now, he's clean-shaven, but all, for all I know, next time he's going to have a beard, and he's going to take over my show. And maybe everyone will think it's the same person. I'm not sure if I have anything to be concerned about, just something to think about. Um, fascinating... Fascinating. You know, I got to start with a story. Um, I saw a story on my LinkedIn. Beautiful story. Beautiful story. Um, it, it is. It is one of the things that is a living being you need to do. Is you got to pay attention to what's happening. I'm actually studying with a friend. We talk about it. Um, we're studying Path of the Just, and the part we happen to be up to is it's called Zahiros. It means. Um, it means just to be. It's. It's a complicated word but the idea is you got to be careful right you got to watch what you're doing you got to think what you're doing you got to pay attention but not only pay attention to what's actually happening but you have to pay attention to where you're going as where am I going where is my compass what am I aiming at and one of the days one of the ways to do that is to pay attention Am I am I trying to get better? Am I trying to serve God? Am I what am I trying to do? Am I just flowing down the river of life? What am I doing with myself? So um, here's a great paying attention story, and I'm not sure where the story is taking place. Yeah, my son um, was looking for parking, and it, my son doesn't have a smartphone. He has a regular what? Yeah, I guess a flip phone, but there are some smart flip phones. He just has a regular phone. So he calls me up and he says, "Nowhere to park. I can't park." I said, "Why?" So you need an app to use any of the, the meters. This can't be. Yeah, yeah. There's only, it says, you got to fill the app. I said, do me a favor. Walk around to the other side of the meter. It's impossible. Sure enough, he walks around to the other side of the meter, and there's a place to swipe your credit card. So even though, you know, everything is moving into the apps, into the smartphones, but you could still go ahead and put your credit card in. And not only that, you could put coins in for those that still actually have change in their pocket. 
So it would seem in the in train stations they have the same. It's been a very long time since I've actually been in a subway. Good old Detroit doesn't have subways. So I, I, you know, in New York, whenever I'm in New York, I have my car with me. I'll take Uber. I haven't been on a on a subway for forever. But it seems somewhere, and again, I'm not sure where the story is taking place, um, to get your ticket for the train, um, you would put coins into the meter, and uh, you would punch in, and you get your ticket. So whoever is telling the story here is putting his coin into the meter, puts the coin in, the machine spits the coin back. What's he going to do? Train is coming. Coin again, machine spits the coin back. Coin again, machine spits the coin back. He's very frustrated. He's going to miss his train. Finally, puts the coin in, the machine accepts it, prints out his ticket. By that time, not only is the train pulled in, the doors are now closed, the train is off. Okay, he goes to one of the, one of the employees there and he says, when's the next train? Six minutes. Okay, so six minutes comes, gets on the next train, the train goes a stop or two and stops. Everybody's got to get out. Okay, he gets out and he keeps saying to himself, an important attitude that we've talked about a lot. And that attitude is that I am here because this is where God wants me to be. I'm not supposed to be in the other place. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. Now, some of us get neurotic about this, so we imagine that if we left our house 20 minutes late when we were going somewhere, it's because if we would have been 20 minutes further down the highway, who knows what would have happened. So I know I'm a little neurotic that way. I do think that way. It's not the best thing to always think, but I do think that way. But, but it really comes back to this first thought. I am, I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. Right now? I am supposed to be in the NRM studios uh, talking about this week's Torah portion. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be. And when you are listening, maybe you're exercising, maybe you're sitting by your computer, you are also exactly where God wants you to be. So, this man has this attitude. This is where God wants me to be. Complain, quetch, it's not going to help. So he goes out and he says, how do I get to, um, to the next station? No trains going there. What about this one? Uh, it's going the other way. And again, this is where God wants you to be. So he figures, okay, it, 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 being down here is not going to help. So he goes, I guess, upstairs or out of the train station, gets, gets himself a taxi. And as he's driving down whatever road street, the train that he wanted to be on was in a train wreck. So he says, see, God did not want me to be on that train. Right? And you can have any thoughts you want about the story. All I care about is the guy had the right attitude. And my attitude is, I am where God wants me to be. So I find that kind of story, you know, heartwarming. It, it, the heartwarming part is that the person recognized that God is taking care of me. And my focus of uh, that I'm thinking, right, if I'm thinking that I'm where God wants me to be, then I am thinking that I'm supposed to connect to God. And what do I need to do more or better to connect to God? So that's really where it's at. Okay. Let's talk about this week's story portion a little bit. We tried in the last show. I was not very successful. Uh, but maybe now I'll be more successful getting into some of the meat and potatoes. And every verse in these Torah portions are just packed. The, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' uh, last hurrah. He gets to give a last schmooze a last talking to, to the Jewish people. So every verse 
is just packed with with important things for me and you. Everything's important, don't get me wrong, right? Every story is important. I can learn from everything. But this is more on the how uh, on the attitude of how I should be living um, set of verses. So, the verse says, very interesting, I wrote it down for myself, at least in English, right? Perhaps you will say in your heart, these nations are more numerous than I, how can I drive them out? So the verse is referring to the fact that when it's going to come time for war, perhaps I will, uh, I'll get afraid. Uh, how can I defeat them? Who am I to defeat them? I'm a small nothing. I, I can't defeat them. Right? So interesting. Interesting. So the Zohar says, right, Kabbalah, right, that we have to always be concerned about the consequences of sin. In other words, we, 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 we've talked about this, I know I say this all the time, because we've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, it says in Oz Yosher, it says, God is the man of war. So we explained in the past that that means that all war is from God. Does God make it look like the stronger country always wins? He may. It doesn't always happen, right? Countries fall, countries rise. Right? But God is the one deciding war. We talked in the last show about Bar Kokhba, that he was the one that made that three-year rebellion against the Romans after the destruction of the temple. So he said to God, he says, I have the mightiest army. So my army is on this side of the field. The Roman army is on the other side of the field. So God, do me a favor. Don't get involved. If you don't get involved, God, then I'm going to win because I have a stronger army. And that attitude, of course, is the opposite of the attitude when it comes to battle. Because God is the one that decides every battle and every war. You don't want God, you lose. There's no such thing. And it could be from that statement that the great Rabbi Akiva understood that this by Kochba was done. He was not going to be the Messiah. He had the wrong attitude. So again, so the Zohar says that we have to be concerned about our actions, about sin and doing good, good deeds, mitzvos, right? That, that our actions have consequences. And those consequences will dictate what happens when we go to war. The Jewish people over throughout history, now people will say modern history, maybe not that way, but people like to say wars like the Six-Day War, other wars were multiple, numerous miracles for those involved. So you see that uh, the Jewish people winning war is completely dependent on miracles. Almost threw in a uh, Jewish word over there, and that would have been confusing. And then somebody would have called me and said, what was that word? So yeah, I skipped it. So interesting enough, there are four kings that had this dilemma. And it's interesting how they all reacted. You had King David. He was the most successful because he, he was King David. He had, you know, the Talmud tells us his two or three sins. That's it. You know, some of us can't get out of bed without doing a couple sins. He, three, two, his whole life, that's it. So King David is a great, great person. And um, he prays to God to be successful in battle, and he wins all the battles, right? He wiped out almost all the enemies around. When his king, when his son, uh, Solomon, Shlomamel, when he takes over, and now there's peace because his father had uh, defeated everybody, Shlomamel ends up 
being ruler over the world and he's able to build the temple because there's no war going on. His father couldn't build it because he had blood on his hands. We don't want the temple built by somebody who actually had to kill by war. But otherwise, King David was most successful when it came to this. The next king was a king by the name of Asa. He was not on the level of King David. His prayer was a little bit different. He prays that God should destroy the enemy, and God listens. The next king was a king by the name, again, these are not in, it's an order, but it's not one after another. The next king like this was a king by the name of Yeshafet, or Jesafet, I think they pronounce it in English. He knew he wasn't on Asa's level to pray to God to destroy the army. So he says, God, I don't have enough good deeds. These are great people talking, right? I don't have enough good deeds to deserve that you should uh, defeat them because of my prayer. So instead, I'm going to sing your praises. And by singing your praises, that should be good enough that you'll defeat them. And sure enough, he sings God's praises. And God goes ahead and destroys the army. The fourth one, and that's like my favorite one. The fourth one is Chizkiah Hamel, King Chizkiah. He, he said to himself, I can't even praise God properly. I can't sing praises, can't ask him to defeat. So God, I got nothing. I can't praise you properly. I can't pray to you properly that you should de- defeat the enemy. I'm not on that level. So I'm going to sleep and you're just going to have to deal with it on your own. And sure enough, the, that army, that was the same king that had taken the ten tribes and dispersed them wherever they're out there in the world. And, uh, and God wiped them out. It says he opened their ears and they heard the angels coming and they died. Well, he just wiped out the whole army. So now, now we have to think, right? These four great righteous kings. Uh, by the time we get to the fourth one, he says, I got nothing. So if they felt about themselves and good, they were humble and they understood anytime they did something wrong, even something small, that how, 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 how destructive that sin was, what are we supposed to do, right? What, what can we do? So um, I saw this probably on Tisha B'Av. We talked about it. I talked about my kids um, and that is that when the world has great spiritual people and many great righteous people, then it could be hard to make a difference. But when the world is a dark place, right, spiritually we're very low. We don't have those types of great people. There's a lot of good people out there. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great people out there. Don't get me wrong. But it's a different kind of greatness. It's a, it's a greatness in serving God and recognizing, understanding who God is. So that we don't have on the same level. So what can we do? So he says like a candle in the darkness, right? A little light right, pushes away a lot of darkness. So in our generation, because we don't have those great people, even when we do the small things, the small things are fantastically fantastically powerful. So we need to start learning to do the small things. As we need to understand that even when we do something small, it's really very big. And people recognize it. So I found a few, I thought, great stories. And 
What, what note I wrote myself over here? Oh, okay. Anyways, I wrote myself some great stories, so just to rem- re- remember them, and just to give us an idea of the little things make a very, very big difference. It makes a big difference to you. It makes a big difference to the people that see what you did, hear what you did. It's amazing. So I believe the first story I've said in the past, but I did not know part two of the story. So there's a well-known philanthropist. He actually lives out in L.A. His name is Rishlami Yehuda Rechnitz, very famous philanthropist. At one time, he was traveling from Israel, and he stopped off, beats me why the plane stopped, in Ireland. So he gets off the plane. I guess there's a waiting period, and he sees a lot of soldiers, a lot of soldiers, and they don't look so happy. So he goes to them, and he says, uh, what's the matter? And the, it seems the food that they had prepared for these soldiers was was just not just not up to snuff. It just and they were grumbling about it. So the philanthropist went over to the commanding officer, and he said, "How many soldiers do you have here?" And he told him about four hundred. He says, "Okay, listen carefully. Take my credit card. This credit card is unlimited. Go into town." $50 per soldier. In other words, I don't care what you guys buy, but the limit is you can buy yourself anything you want, food, snacks, cookies, nash, whatever you want, $50 per soldier, swipe it on the card. And, the, of course, the, um, the commander was flabbergasted. That is a great word. And he said, okay, we're going to be able to do it, but, you know, the fact that you are just so kind... Um, I'd like you to say a few words. So this uh, this Rechnitz got up, and he told him about the concept of of Jewish gratitude, and and this some Rechnitz wanted to say, I you know I, I want you know I live in America and I'm free because of our great soldiers. So I want to show some recognition, some gratitude to you guys. So therefore, I'm giving you money. You're not happy with your lunch. Look, I can't feed you every day. But at least one time, I can go ahead and give you something to eat. After the speech, he was approached by a soldier. And this is the part of the story I did not know till now. And the soldier says, you know, I want you to know I am Jewish. And I'm actually from Kentucky. I don't know how many Jews are in Kentucky. But this soldier, Jewish, was from Kentucky. And it says, it happens to be this whole group of soldiers is from that area of the country. Not too many Jews there. And I want you to know, I wear tefillin every day. Tefillin are those black boxes, the phylacteries we wrapped on our arms by prayer and put on our head by, by prayer. And uh, I get a lot of ribbing. People bother me and they chepper me and they not, they're not even anti-Semitic. It's just so strange to them to see somebody pray in such a fashion. They never saw such a thing. So, you know, it was really, really hard for me. But now that they see, they know I'm Jewish, right? Again, I'm not saying it's anti-Semitic. It's just a good way to bother me, and it's hard. It really takes an effort every time I pray, knowing that I'm going to get this, uh, this uh, make fun of and bothered and shepherd or whatever. But now that you showed them that a Jewish person can show gratitude and can take care of the soldiers, now I could be proud to be Jewish. And now I'll be able to put on my tefillin every day and I'm not going to get ribbed for it anymore. Right? So a little thing, again, for me and you, giving out that kind of money to soldiers is not a little thing. 
for this person is on a, in a different stratosphere when it comes to charity. He's not me and you. It, it, it was okay. And I was, I'm not saying it wasn't a big donation, don't get me wrong, but it was a donation that he could easily afford. You can afford a $100 donation or a $1,000 donation. He could afford a million-dollar donation or whatever, the math of 400 times 50 or $100,000, whatever, $200,000. So um, you did something may not have been earth-shattering, but it made a difference because now I could do something and I can be proud for who I am. So that's, again, just a, a great story and the idea of what we call sanctifying God's name and Kiddush Hashem. And we don't understand the repercussions, right? You throw the stone into the pond and the, and the ripple effect. We don't understand. We don't see the ripple effect that we have. And that brought me to another story that I, that I uh, brought with me. So many papers over here. How do I get yelled at all by papers? Anyways, we'll put this on the bottom so I don't lose it. Anyways. Here's another story for you. So, as we said before, it's it's the summer, it's camp season. If you have children in camp, so um, everybody knows that camps are always looking to exciting, fun things. And uh, and the story in this camp, this camp was in Denver, Colorado. Could be the camp is still in Denver, Colorado, but the story is a little older. So, um. A camp wanted their campers to learn what a courthouse, what courthouse proceedings look like. It probably had something to do with what they were studying. So the the whatever the camp comes, I don't know how big the camp was. It couldn't have been, you know, hundreds of people. But um, the camp was going ahead, and they brought the kids, and the policemen came, and they explained to them this is how court works, and you'll sit in the in the in the chairs or on the benches, and you'll watch the proceedings, and you don't make any noise, and you watch. And they went in, and and there was a, a lady with a veil over her face, and uh, and it was questionable if she had shoplifted. And two witnesses said, uh, or maybe it was one witness said that uh, that she saw a uh, uh, a lady that looked uh, whatever her skin color was, and and another witness said no, it was totally different, a different skin color. And finally, the judge says, "Okay, look, we w- there's a conflict over here between the witnesses. Um, could you take off your veil so we can see who's telling the truth over here?" And the and the lady didn't want. And finally, the 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 judge ordered the um, one of his officers to take off a veil. And of course, it was one of the camp counselors and. The, the judge says, okay, this is a color war breakout. Again, for those of you in the know, if you're involved in camps, camps are always trying to find something to make their color war breakout a surprise because it's pretty hard. Everybody knows when color war will be. It's always towards the end of camp. And if you could find something to demonstrate and excite the kids, they do it. So the judge actually goes ahead and he has a bunch of instructions and he says the two teams are called Surmeirava Seitaif. Surmeirava means go away from bad. And I say, tell you, it means do good. And the judge was explaining it's not good enough just to turn away from the bad. You have to also do the good. And a whole, and then he reads out the team's names. And the, the judge and the court and everybody were very, very pleased by how well it worked. Again, I don't know if every city allows you to go ahead and do that with the judges. But in Denver, they allowed it and it worked out extremely positive. What was fascinating is what happened a few days later. A few days later, the head counsel gets a phone call. So ladies on the phone and says, is this Rabbi so-and-so? Yes, it is. 
Um, so I have to tell you, my son recently um, had shoplifted and was brought in front of the judge. And the judge says he has to do community service, 16 hours. The judge suggested that my son do his 16 hours in your camp. He said there had been a program with the boys from your camp, and they were just so blown away by the, the stellar quality of the children and the message that the camp was trying to teach about, about turn away from bad and do good and the whole process that the, the judge said that I believe that your son will, will have a fascinating lesson. It was those 16 hours hanging out with those groups of boys will do wonders for your son. Therefore, the judge said, I strongly suggest that you go ahead and do your community service there, which I believe is what actually happened. And the music is playing, and I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to one of the sponsors. Listen, you know I can't do it without you. Thank you on the production team. We have David, Allen, and Andy in the back. I hope I've left you food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.